Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. Sam is still with us. Sam is Sam remains, which is nice. Hello, my name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I'm joined, not as ever, but now, forever, forever, by my lovely co-host. Sam Ashurst, and I think last week was enough in, in terms of welcoming me back. We, nope. we don't have to mention it every time. <laughs> uh, I'm now, it's normal. What if, someone, what if someone missed the last one? They won't know what to think. Well, then that's their fault. And, uh, you know, <laughs> they, we, they may well have missed all the ones I was off, so they'll be really confused by this. Yeah, no, fair enough, okay. So, uh, anyway, Dan, this week was your choice. What made yeah. you go for the sender? Well, so I'd never seen the sender before, and the, the video cover for it and the back of the Blu-ray cover for it um, was something that I I remembered seeing on the shelves, and it felt like one of those gaps. So it was there in the stack, the Arrow stack, and I thought it would be a good uh, a good opportunity because it was was it your first watch as well, first time. Well, let's I mean you know let's not lie to the dear sweet listener, the precious Arrowhead. We watched this together, and so you know full well that it was my first watch as well. Well, um, no, I don't because I'd forgotten. <laughs> oh i see i, I well, thought it, i thought yeah. it was but i didn't want to state it yeah no no it was a first time watch for me and we watched it together at your house we did with, uh, not one dog but two two dogs uh, and i fell asleep before you the did. end you, uh, oh, i'm so, glad that you're confessing to that now because so you know still... i was going to hold it against you <laughs> <laughs> so i watched it again and then i watched it a third time or a second oh. and a half time with the commentary as well so oh fantastic so yeah. um yeah, I mean, for me, uh, I, I, it's not a film that I particularly loved, but it's not a film that I particularly hated either. I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, I thought it was beautifully shot. Uh, very opening, nicely photographed. The opening shot uh, of the pink and purple sky was very, very pretty. I'm not sure what it was thematically saying, but it was a lovely, lovely opening shot. And, uh, of course, it was filmed by uh, Roger Pratt, the DOP, who yeah. worked with terry gilliam quite a lot so yeah very very nicely shot what were some of your favorite moments um what uh, did you check did you get a chance to check out the commentary i did yes yeah yeah so the the so so it was interesting i when we finished the first watch and i think in a second i'll take it back and i'll talk a little bit about what it's about because i i do suspect this is one of the ones that we've people are going to have seen slightly less so you know we'll, we'll keep it relatively spoiler free but um, after the first watch, and obviously, as I've already said, I, I didn't make it all the way through the first watch conscious. So just like that fantastic review of Borderlands where the guy said, uh, this was so boring, I fell asleep. And the ending made no sense. <laughs> it was actually quite frustrating for me that you fell asleep because I predicted the ending. And when it happened, I turned to me. you <laughs> seeking praise and you were just lightly, lightly sleeping. Lightly snoozing. Yeah, well, yeah. Had, we had two dogs with us. They're very soporific dogs. That's, that's true. As are uh, films. <laughs> God, increasingly with age. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so obviously my, my feeling about it was that I, I slightly regretted having chosen it after that first watch because right. it, it, you know, it hadn't kept me awake. Although, to be completely honest, I'm not sure repeated strikes to the face would have kept me awake at that point <laughs> well i try um, my best yeah no <laughs> but um but yeah so i sort of came away from it feeling disappointed but then re-watching it again it was i actually enjoyed it a lot more even the bits i'd you know the bits i'd already seen within the last week uh i, I enjoyed it a lot more the second time and then listening to the commentary and i know that it's it's not a sign of a great of great art or 
you know, of a great joke if it only works if the person who told it the first time is there to sort of walk you through it. <laughs> but hearing the director talk about it and what he intended to do with it, I, you know, I think I appreciated it a lot more. So yeah, yeah I, it's it's definitely not going to go straight up into my my top ten of all time. But I, but I, I think ultimately I quite enjoyed it. It's also another one of those where the further I get from it, I think the more I liked it. Uh, and and I think it's a, a mark of what Arrow Video do or what these kind of releases can do for a film because obviously you know it's a first time watch for both of us and uh, some of the films you know that we we have seen you know many many times over the years and have grown up watching and have read every single thing in Fangoria or you know whatever magazine you care to name um, we kind of know more about the intention around the film if that makes sense yeah um, so this one was completely absent of all, all of that. So it, it's really kind of amazing that we have these kind of releases that have those supplemental features, whether it's the audio commentary or Kim Newman's beautiful interview. Yeah, that was um, fantastic. That's also on, on the disc. Yeah, it, it really sort of helps kind of put these kinds of films in, in the canon uh, in, a, in a way that allows even newcomers to appreciate them. So, um, and, and, you know, while I, I stand by my statement that I didn't love it, uh, there were moments in it that I loved. So that amazing shot in the kitchen where it's completely dark and you notice the torch and then the light kind of flickers on and reveals oh, yeah. the two cops. Um, that's such a lovely piece of filmmaking. It's such a, a really special shot that I haven't really seen anyone lift. You know, I haven't seen it done by anyone else. So, um, yeah, there's lots of moments like that in, in the sender. Yeah, so it is, yeah, it, it is really, really, it's very uh, proficiently directed and, and expertly photographed. I think it, it suffers a little bit just from its age as far as pacing goes. Yeah. And that a lot of stuff in it that was, because it doesn't have a, it's not got a lot of set pieces and the set pieces it has are either relatively restrained or maybe a little sillier in hindsight than they were at the time. There's a particular effect towards the end, which I don't want to spoil. You know what, I'm going to, I'm going to stop here, and I'm just going to quickly talk about what it's about. Okay, good um, luck. Yeah, cheers. So a, uh, a, a young man who's only ever referred to as John Doe, the, uh, the American term for unnamed individuals, whether they're you know, corpses or, or medical patients or whatever, is brought into a psychiatric hospital after trying to very publicly kill himself by walking into a lake with pockets full of rocks in probably my favourite shot of the whole film. And, uh, and he becomes a particular fascination of a, uh, of a nurse at the... Um, or if, I, I think she's a, um, she's a psychiatric doctor at the, at the hospital who starts to believe that maybe the things he is dreaming are manifesting themselves physically in the real world, which is a lovely idea and is very close, not, that, not a million miles away from the premise of one of my favourite books. And so that's kind of one of the things that, like having seen the, the cover over and over again, it was one of the things that drew, drew me to it. And I think it's fair to say that it sort of borrows a lot from things like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and a lot of real-world hospital stuff. Like, not not real-world, but you know what I mean. Like, not fantasy, not genre, per se, hospital stuff. But then it does have this, um, like, low-level phantasmagoria going through it as well with these manifest dreams. And I think that some of those sequences are very, very beautiful, um, and some of them end up as quite silly. And there's what I was saying earlier was there's one 
towards the end of the film, which is meant to be quite a shocking moment. And hearing the director talk about it, he's he's on the audio commentary. He's saying, you know, there were you know the, the whole audience, their reaction was amazing and visceral. And people, I, I can't remember the directors. He he name drops someone. It's like someone like Sam Fuller. <laughs> <laughs> someone like that he says like how amazing they said it, they thought that moment was like when they talked to him after the premiere or after a festival screening and it's the guy the the guy in the hospital all the background characters all the other people in the psychiatric hospital have their own like ticks their own things there's a guy who still thinks vietnam is going on and there's a uh, a guy who feels like his um, throat's being cut constantly and like this kind of stuff and one of those guys his like fear becomes manifest in a way uh, towards the end and it's very silly yeah but there are you know there's some great practical effects in it there was one moment where you had to rewind it a couple of times because oh yeah no absolutely real when it was actually fake. yeah i thought they'd done it uh, i thought they'd used a, a real per- it's a very very quick shot of a, of a of a very cool moment um that they obviously also thought was very cool because they go back to it quite a lot but yeah they there's a moment that i thought was done in the fulci way rather than the batine way <laughs> if that makes sense to our listeners I think that will almost certainly make sense to our precious sweet arrowheads. Yeah. Uh, not everyone, but but our lovely listeners. Yeah, I, that's kind of an interesting element to it. I, I do feel a little bit like, and again, this is um, maybe something that I, I would hold against it, is that it doesn't go all out on the horror, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. There's no big moment. And, and it feels like Roger Christian is and certainly from his commentary where he kind of he name drops john carpenter several times yeah um and like he says i didn't want to do an out and out slash horror movie and he, he says that he didn't want the film to have a pounding horror score because it's uh based on reality or things that could happen which is uh quite an interesting uh interesting premise but um yeah i do wonder if the project was developed in that post Halloween space where everyone was looking for indie horror and uh, Christian didn't really want to make that kind of film. That is pure conjecture. Um, but that's that, kind of the feeling I got. Yeah, that feels, that feels pretty accurate. It, and, and to be honest, I think that I would have liked it more if it had gone all out. Exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, but obviously that's our tastes. Um, yeah, the, the book, it, the, the synopsis brought to mind was the um, infernal desire machines of Dr. Hoffman. Right which obviously is significantly more all out than this. For those of you that haven't read it, it's about a, a, a bad scientist who develops a machine that um, makes everyone's uh, thoughts come to life and turns it onto a sort of semi-historical, like fantasy historical Egyptian city uh, and an outcast is sent on a road trip to, to stop him. But he has to deal with the fact that there's this, this thing that makes everything you think come true. And so that the idea of someone who's... And obviously, you know, there's... Like, he himself says that... Uh, the director himself says that he thinks that... He, he can't prove it, but he thinks that maybe there was some uh, Nightmare on Elm Street influence going on in it as well. It, it definitely... Um, it sort of sits in that arena, doesn't it? The idea of... That, that's such a fascinating idea. Definitely. I mean, there, there was a few of those about, wasn't there, at the time? Like, Bad Dreams as well. Do you remember Bad Dreams? I don't think I do. I think I think that's out on um, eighty eight uh, as part of their slasher collection. But um, if, if there's anyone out there who hasn't seen it, it's definitely worth a watch. It's not you know, it's not a masterpiece, but it is entertaining. Um, yeah. I, so, would you count Nightmare on Elm Street as psychic horror? 
Uh, I mean, the thing is, Nightmare on Elm Street, it only isn't psychic horror because it's a it's a ghost, essentially. Mm. So they, they go that extra step to say, it's well, it's not a manifestation of their dreams, it's purely that he can access them in their dreams, that their yeah. dreams become the gateway for him. But, but, but the results yeah, but, are the same. But he is, like, invading their subconscious and he's finding, you know, the stuff in there that scares them the most. Yeah. So, I don't know, it's interesting. Um, you know, it's not going to change cinema history if we recategorize it now but uh (laughs) it's definitely like for example anyone that enjoys ascender will probably already have seen dream warriors but um they should definitely catch it if they haven't seen it because it is arguably the greatest third film in a franchise of all time (laughs) it's well and also it's one of the ones where it's got the most satisfying real world ramifications of what's going on in the dreams yeah like the the puppeteering no no, some incredible set pieces yeah Absolutely. Well, I'm not sure what else I have to say about this film, but in terms of the extras, uh, we mentioned the interview with Kim Newman, uh, which is basically half an hour of him talking about psychic horror. uh, Which is great. Wonderful. Uh, Covers everything from films to books to magazine short stories to comics to Yuri Geller. It's basically as close as you'll get to hanging out with Kim. Um, It's basically what he's like in the day-to-day. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I loved it. I really loved that one. And we also watched the interview with the writer Thomas Baum together, didn't we? What did you think of that? Yeah, I like that. I've rewatched that one actually. Um, yeah, he's. I mean, he's very keen to point out that it's all him. <laughs> well, you say Which I that. Quite enjoyed. No, I, I I disagree with that because he actually reveals in that interview that the best idea in the script came from a producer and not him. So I quite yeah, warmed to him that at is... that point. Yeah, that's true. But he then does also say things like, "Not a single word was changed," and I visited script, I visited set, and he didn't seem to be doing much directing. So, I mean, you know, that's that's the writer's prerogative. They don't get much. Let him have that. So, should we go on to recommendations? What's your first recommendation? Yeah, my first uh, my first recommendation is the um, it's sort of a TV series more than a movie, isn't it? Outrageous. Like I think it was, yeah, well, you know, live with it, I guess. <laughs> um, it's uh, Kingdom, the the Lars von Trier one, not the the sort of Kingdom Hospital. Was Kingdom Hospital a remake of? I never watched it. I think anyway, it, it, um, it was. It was, yeah. But um, yeah, it's Kingdom. It's a um, it's yeah set in a Danish hospital. It's a it's a haunted hospital movie rather than a psychic. Uh, horror per se but it's a really good atmosphere like for me it's 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 prime von trier it's one of my favorite of his um and it's got some fantastic like crazy out there moments in it especially towards the end excellent yeah that is a great recommendation i love the kingdom and uh yeah it's a, a lot in all caps a lot more insane than uh the sender oh yeah yeah, no, it's really good. Uh, my first recommendation is kind of a a slight sidestep recommendation. It's more that it would work in a double bill than it was than it's kind of thematically resonant. But when I was rewatching the film for this, I really noticed how kind of similar those hospital scenes feel to the hospital scenes in Twelve Monkeys. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, and it's it's the same DOP, um, so that would explain it. And and John Doe, 
in, in the sender wears a very similar kind of dressing gown pajama combo to Bruce Willis in 12 Monkeys so I wonder if Gilliam saw the sender and loved it and that was part of um, uh, an influence on 12 Monkeys I won't go on any more about 12 Monkeys because there's a whole podcast episode uh, that <laughs> explains in detail how I feel about that amazing film and uh, if you haven't listened to the 12 Monkeys episode please do double bill that with this one uh, Dan what is next for you? Uh, so my, uh, my next one is the ninth configuration um, which again I only saw I say again, I only saw recently. Uh, my, my shortlist, I only saw recently. When I was in Toronto, it played at the TIFF um, cinema. And uh, Colin Geddes, who actually you, Sam, sort of helped with the introduction to, he was he was screening it and did a little talk about it um, up on stage. So for those of you who haven't seen it, and again, I, I was familiar with the poster or the video cover and had, but hadn't got around to watching it. Um, it's a William Peter Blatty picture uh, set in a, a mental hospital and it's a uh, yeah it's a it's a really just an amazing cast and while possibly a little religious for my tastes in some of its content it's a really really great film like it's a really well-made film and again it's just it yeah it's it's association with the sender is that it's set in a mental hospital <laughs> Yeah, and, and there are some kind of weird visually type things yes, going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't seen it for years and years, but uh, I seem to remember it has an amazing bar fight. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, like, but that that feels like almost like a set piece that's from something else. Like the, yes. uh, the there's a biker gang in it who feel a yes, little a, a little it. bit Mad Max, yeah. <laughs> but also they don't even feel a little bit Mad Max. They feel like a little bit Bruno Matai <laughs> doing Mad Max. Oh, a hundred percent, and a little bit trauma maybe. But yeah, um, yeah. No, I I, uh, I really like that film, and I know Heather Buckley who produces Arrow Video Discs, including the Candyman disc, and we interviewed her on that episode. Listen to that episode; it's great, better than this one. But yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it's that is a fantastic recommendation, and I'm sure there's lots of people who haven't seen that one, and it is, you know, it's a, a lost gem. Right, my next recommendation will be we talked about our recommendations, didn't we, Dan? But I'm not doing yeah. any of the ones that we discussed oh. because I was originally going to do Patrick, um, which yeah. is, you know, a, a wonderful little film and very, very resonant with this one. However, when I was watching the interview with Kim Newman, uh, he talks about a film that I haven't seen for a long time but absolutely loved. So it was like a kind of bit of a blast from the past. I think I might have watched this one with Tony, actually, our friend Tony, Dan. Um, but, yeah, uh, it is The Power from 1968. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it kind of also feels like a forebear of Cronenberg's Scanners. It's kind of, yeah, there's quite a few little things in common but it's basically a murder mystery centered around two people who are able to kill people with their minds and uh, it's got a lovely twist at the end and uh, i will not say anything other than that about it the power from 1968 dan what have you watched in the past two weeks I, so a nice short watch for everyone to get on board with from 1945 uh, i rewatched kurosawa's the men who tread on the tiger's tail it was one of the slightly weirder, less common Kurosawa's that I had on a big batch of DVDs I bought from China. And I don't think I'd seen it available in this country. And then it turned up on the BFI player, the um, the streaming thing that BFI do. It's only, it's a bit over an hour. It's not very long. Um, nice. 
it's a it's a it's essentially a sort of like a single act but with a couple of bookends and it's about a bunch of loyalist soldiers uh trying to uh get a member of a like Japanese royal family out of the country or out of the area because his uh, his his relative in power has gone mad and is going to try and kill him. So they've disguised themselves as monks and they're travelling through the Japanese countryside trying to get through a uh, like a checkpoint by basically bluffing harder than any man has ever bluffed before. And it's a it's a really nice little um, little like black and white obviously 45 uh, early kurosawa piece um it's made by the um the porter who ca- who goes with them who's this sort of like rubber-faced comedic interlude who plays throughout the film who's genuinely hilarious <laughs> uh, even though most of what he's doing is pratfalling and gurning but it's yeah it's a just a really lovely little piece and it's uh, it's on bfi player now so i don't think it's been available in this country before so it's worth checking out yeah, that's really good. Uh, the BFI player is amazing, actually. Uh, I did a kind of Jean Roland marathon oh, yeah. recently. Um, there's loads of stuff on there. And as part of the prep for the second film, um, it's, yeah. Jean Roland and Jess Franco, people like that, are going to be an influence on, on the next thing. And I should say that I'm not complaining about the fact that I start shooting tomorrow. Um, I'm very, very excited, but I'm also a bit nervous and stressed because uh, those are the mix of emotions that one has before they start making something um, that Absolutely. involves lots of people and lots of organisation. But, uh, um, yeah, no, I'm very excited. Uh, as, a, as an aside, before you go to your next one, you, yes. you, you mentioned that you've been checking out the Roland stuff on BFI. Um, I was talking to one of our listeners on Twitter a little while ago about, uh, I think it was actually in relationship to the um, zombie series from uh, Evolution of Horror, and we were talking about Grapes of Wrath, uh, Grapes of Wrath, Grapes of Death, and um, and talking about its availability, and I noticed that that is also on the BFI player. So if people are looking for Grapes of Death uh, with English subtitles rather than the version that's on YouTube, that is also on the BFI player. Yes, uh, this episode is brought to you by the BFI iPlayer. <laughs> that's what it's called, BF, BFI player. Anyway, whatever. Um, we'll, we'll take our check in the post. Right, from the past couple of weeks, I have watched Midsommar. Uh, oh, yes. Saw- yeah, a couple of weeks ago, but uh, as you listen to this podcast, dear sweet precious Arrowhead, it will be in your local multiplex. Um, I am going to recommend it. Uh, I'm not going to say anything about the plot. Thank you. Um, all I'll say is that it's basically Eli Roth's Green Inferno meets Nick Cage's Wicker Man meets the Criterion Collection. Um, so, yeah, my <laughs> full... <laughs> Full review is in SFX magazine, um, if you want to seek that out. There are slight spoilers in there. But just to lower expectations for the film, I gave it three and a half stars. Um, It is good. Out of ten? Out of five. (laughs) So that is very much a recommendation, but I've seen a lot of people losing their minds about this film, calling it a masterpiece and, you know, throwing the genius word around and all the rest of it. Um, And it, it actually slightly diminished hereditary for me um in a way oh, really because, yeah he uses a lot of the same kind of composition and sort of camera tricks and editing tricks and all of those felt motivated by the themes and the story in hereditary for me i felt that you know 
the way he shot it and the way he, he composed everything was very connected to lots of stuff it was playing around with. Whereas he kind of just plonks that stuff into this one and it makes it feel more like those are just his tricks rather than stuff that's motivated by the themes and the story. But who am I to criticise? Um, <laughs> you should still go and see it. You know, I definitely will. But, you, you know, just um, it's more Green Inferno than The Seventh Seal. Put it that way. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> What's next for you, Dan? Um, so yesterday uh, I went to the ICA to go and check out a documentary. Uh, at the beginning of the year, I talked about, maybe at the end of last year, uh, I talked about trying to watch more documentaries and they feed, they, you know, there was a whole category of them in that spreadsheet I was doing. Uh, and I've not done great with documentaries so far. Um, and while this wasn't one on my list... It was. It's a new one out. I wanted to go and check it out. Uh, it's Penny Slinger out of the shadows. Do you know? Oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely fantastic. I, I like a lot of people, um, didn't know anything about Penny Slinger, and watching the documentary uh, directed by Richard Kovic, it's like if you like sort of British sixties, seventies counterculture cinema, Out of the Shadows is almost like watching a dot the dot being put together in front of you when the dots hadn't been numbered it's astonishing like penny would move between these different spaces so like you know uh films like the other side of the underneath and they showed a little bit of separation which i'm obsessed with yeah like so she was a very big part of this but then because she left the scene and wasn't mm. there to to go on as I, I think the the term used in the documentary is the museumification of the art of the era, mm. um, where they they sort of like you know they put these things in boxes and everything that isn't here and here and here gets just sort of forgotten about and doesn't get written about. Mm. And the director saw a retrospective of her work at the Riflemaker Gallery in London, which is a really fantastic gallery, um, one of my favourites in London. Really worth going checking out. It's in Soho near the Mildred's Vegetarian Restaurant, if you know that. <laughs> and, um, uh, yeah, and, and it's just a... It was a really, really nice watch. So, yeah, that's really worth checking out. I think it's actually in quite a lot of cinemas for a documentary. And it's being put out by Anti-Worlds. So if you go to their website... That's Andy Stark, isn't it? That's, yeah, it's Andy, Andy Stark's new outfit. So those of you in the know know that Andy is a producer I've worked with quite a lot. Um, but he also, in distribution, is one half of Mondo Macabro, who are a fantastic genre release label in the States. And this is a, um, a sort of modern title distribution uh, company that he's setting up now. So yeah, they're basically... Think of it as a seal of approval, a tacit seal of approval from me. He's got fantastic taste. Mm. Um, and, and Zoe Flower as well, she's involved yeah. in that too. She's got amazing taste as well. And, uh, you know, she Absolutely. works with Ben Wheatley quite a lot as well. And, um, yeah, Zoe Flower is fantastic. So, yeah, if they have put it out, then I will definitely go and see it. Um, just a, a quick recommendation specifically for you, Dan, if you're yeah. watching more yeah, documentaries. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen Being Frank yet? No, not yet. I've, it's on my list. I'm definitely, it's, I definitely want to watch it. It's amazing. Like, I, it, move it to the top of your list. It's incredible. It's I, such a great doc. I, I grew up slightly obsessed with Frank Sidebottom and in my mid-teens uh, had my own conspiracy theory that Mark Radcliffe was Frank Sidebottom um, and felt slightly vindicated when I found out later that he had at least been in the band. <laughs> <laughs> For yeah, a bit. there you go. Massive vindication <laughs> there, Dan. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and actually, my, my next recommendation from the past couple of weeks is another documentary. Um, nice. 
So it's one that you'll have seen if you're interested and you'll never watch if you're not because I don't know how you feel about Bob Dylan. But um, basically, I don't have Netflix, so I can't watch the new Scorsese documentary about Bob Dylan, which is killing me. Um, I tried to go and see it at the Prince Charles Cinema, but they were sold out. And yeah, it's it's annoying. Not having Netflix, as it turns out, is annoying sometimes. Um, <laughs> not all the time, though, because it's mostly shit they put out. However, in this instance, I do wish I could watch this documentary. So instead, I watched Don't Look Back, um, the Pennebaker documentary. Um, which is on the Criterion Collection in the UK on Blu-ray, and it's glorious. It's a film I used to watch once a week when I was growing up, uh, but this is the first time I've watched it for about 20 years, and I had no idea at the time how kind of Fellini-esque it is or it was. So, um, yeah, if you haven't seen Don't Look Back and you have been able to see that bloody Scorsese documentary, then uh, search it out because I'm sure it's better because Netflix aren't involved. Right. <laughs> how, do you f- how, how do you feel about the Paul Thomas Anderson Tom York thing that went up on Netflix recently? <sighs> I haven't seen that either. It's like it's like they know. It's like they're trying to get at me personally. Oh yeah, yeah. Sam's left, has he? Right. Let's get his favourite working director and let's get his favourite working musician and make them collaborate so that um, he'll be upset. But. I am hoping that that will also be screened at the Prince Charles Cinema at some point. They Um, they don't show a lot of 15-minute films, though. Yeah, you're right. They don't. (laughs) (laughs) So, shall we move into Extra Features? Extra Features? Extra Features. We have an email. We do, but before that... Oh, go on, what have you got? Well, we need to, and would like to, and would love to, talk about the Arrow Video Fright Fest. Um, oh my goodness, yes, Arrow Video Fright Fest. Because they've been announced now, one of the films that's showing at the Arrow Video Fright Fest this year is a, a, a nasty little film called Harpoon, uh, which I watched recently, so this isn't necessarily a recommend, but it's a recommend of sort of slightly underground titles that are at the festival that Arrow are involved with. Um, it's basically, it's always sunny meets dead calm, and <laughs> I kind of loved it. Yeah, it's really fun. And Dan, have you watched any of the films that are showing? Or have you worked on any of the films that are showing at Arrow Video Fright Fest this year? I haven't seen the full release list yet. Ah. So I don't know. I mean, I know, I'm, obviously, I've, I worked on um, A Good Woman is Hard to Find, which is closing the festival. But other than that, I don't know what else has made it. Oh, and I th- is um, Gun on the Third Floor playing, I think, is playing, which I did. But uh, yeah, like That's I said, got you. My first Fangoria cover. I mean, yes, not, it not did. The, not, I was going to say that <laughs> rather not, than you boasting picture. about it. I was going to compliment you. About well, no, God, it's like it's not like I'm not delighted. <laughs> <laughs> yes, obviously, I was a, I was a small picture in the film strip on the side, so you know, I've I've still got some uh, some some buckets to list. As I don't know, that doesn't work. But yeah, no, that was that was obviously very very exciting. Yeah, I got to see that with an audience at the Overlook in New Orleans. That was delightful. But yeah, no, like I said, I haven't seen the full list yet. I'm hoping that by the next one we record, I have a full list in front of me. <laughs> we'll definitely do a proper Arrow Video Fright Fest guide episode um, where we make all of our, our major recommendations. Absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, and I've I've seen a couple that are there. Like I've seen the Barge People, which is kind of an old school VHS horror, um, except made in the UK by my friend Charlie Steeds, who was on our live Fright Fest episode, and he talked about the Barge People then. So it's really nice that he's coming back to the festival with his own film this year. Um, and my friend Laurie Brewster has an anthology film for We Are Many, which includes a couple of uh, really great shorts. But other than that, I don't think I've seen anything yet but i'm sure we'll wade through all of the the previews so that we can um put together a really good recommendations episode in the next month you mentioned something like a live podcast that sounds good oh shit yeah (laughs) that does sound good doesn't it maybe we should talk about that yeah so uh those of you who came along last year thank you very much we aim to be doing what well, we will be doing another live podcast um this time around uh which is very exciting yeah it's it'll be in the uh, it'll be in the list again i we're it'll be out the list will be out by the time this plays by the time this goes up but uh, we don't have the exact timings yet, but it's, um, it's been confirmed that we have a slot for that. Uh, so. Absolutely. And the other thing that hasn't been confirmed yet, but we're still sort of in negotiations and talking to people about, is we haven't locked down the guests. But last year, we didn't really talk about the live podcast on the um on on our podcast very much we didn't really hype it up so this year we are going to be announcing the guests that we're having beforehand um so that everybody knows it will be free um and because this year i guess last year we kind of wanted to have it be like a special surprise for our kind of the loyal audience that just turned up come along anyway yeah yeah exactly um but this year you know we're going to be telling everyone about it so we will be making announcements on the podcast so i would just trust us and as soon as you can get tickets for that podcast um we are going to have some amazing people as our guests so i would recommend prioritizing that because it is free and um yeah it they will go quite quickly i think um cool right dan you've said something about an email yes yeah mr tugas has uh god i'm almost certainly putting a weird emphasis on his name and i apologize mr tugas has has emailed us from make mine criterion which is very exciting he says he enjoyed the i'm gonna cut it down a little bit he, he enjoyed the stuff i did without sam he's glad sam's back uh also he hates the word auteur just as i do one of the first features i think maybe the first feature i ever worked on at the premiere the director decried the use of the word auteur and used a phrase that has stuck with me ever since he says it's a uh, a term invented by the french and perpetuated by the vein uh which i really like so yeah i don't like that word either he also uh says some nice things to sam which uh do you have the email in front of you sam i don't have it in front of me no but i have read it and it was lovely thank you yes there you go um i, I will yeah I'll, I'll leave that bit he said he was very pleased to hear sam stump for johnny hamlet he says i've been advocating i dan i me have been advocating mexican horror periodically um which brought to mind for thomas a question are there any other blind spots that we wish arrow ventured into he says he spent a lot of time hoping for Mexican wrestler films, and lately he's been venturing into creamy films, the um, German crime movies. Um, any thought of seeing these joining the AV catalogue? All the best, keep it up. And then he signs off, make mine criterion, parentheses, and arrow video, which is a lovely um, amendment. Any thoughts, Sam? Uh, well, I'd like more Kung Fu stuff. I know that whoever it is, the other label, uh, the other Blu-ray people who I used to collect their short stuff but i've kind of dropped off a little bit 
they do you know all the Shaw Brothers stuff but there's plenty of other amazing kung fu stuff out of there and it's just yeah it feels like a bit of a gap in the Arrow video library how about you what do you want to see more Polizitesky please okay That's, yeah like there's a couple there I've recently watched uh, Fango Balente uh, released in America as The Savage 3 uh, from 1975 it's a uh, it's an amazing uh, cop like thriller um, it kind of plays like a like a, a Polizitesky version of Clockwork Orange and it's okay. and the stuff it's dealing with is astonishingly prescient now um, it's talking about uh, like overcrowding in cities the idea of um, non-violent people committing violent crimes <laughs> but also, uh, like, uh, people blaming ir- immigrants for their problems, the privileged feeling uh, oppressed because they are having to share their privilege with other people, the loss of jobs to, com- to automation and computers. Like, it's, it's really interesting in those regards. But then on top of that, it's also an absolutely over-the-top uh, sort of, like, Clockwork Orange-esque rampage with these three thrill killers just like tearing up uh, an Italian city, uh, except instead of a big ceramic penis, they've got a forklift truck. Amazing. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, it's, I'm trying to remember the name of the... It's a German Blu-ray, is out, um, and they've done a handful. I, I recommended, uh, and yes, The Crime Was Solved, I think it's called, or mm-hmm. something like that, um, a few episodes back. It's the same company that put that out on Blu-ray in Germany. Um, Andre, our regular listener, put me onto them as a distribution label, and they've got some great stuff uh, that I haven't seen anywhere else. Um, in fact, hang on, let me just grab the, uh, grab the disc, because I have the... Um, one of their discs to hand here it's camera obscura partnered with freakorama uh, and they've done some fantastic um yeah some fantastic blu-rays of some some very obscure politicesky uh, pictures so yeah well worth well worth checking out but fango balente was just yeah just amazing although i will uh, a little warning to our listeners it starts with a scene in a laboratory uh, in which you definitely see an actual uh, lab rat uh, pass away so be warned yes yes um well it must be good if you're recommending it uh and it includes that because i know how much you hate that um and yes i keep recommending stuff (laughs) exactly um i feel a little bit bad for being maybe slightly dismissive of uh 88 films fine work on the shaw brothers stuff that they've put out oh they have Um, done some lovely stuff really nice and you know killer constable mask avengers you know one-armed swordsman um yeah they've got loads of great stuff so uh i recommend all of that and absolutely you know, sure and arrow video won't mind me saying that because they do sod all kung fu <laughs> and uh i have a little recommendation for you sam oh go on it's another german blu-ray release i think it's called film art uh, right. and, and they've been doing some shaw brothers uh remasters as well recently oh so, awesome oh yeah, excellent worth, worth right, I'll, I'll definitely dig into that yeah, sorry to Arrow Video, sorry to the dear sweet Arrowheads. I don't think this has been our best work, uh, but I am, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm too hot. It's too hot here. It is and I'm filming like tomorrow. the surface of the goddamn sun. Yeah, but um, hopefully hopefully the, uh, the impact of climate change will diminish in two weeks because we are going to be doing my choice, and that will be burnt offerings. You have Yay! been warned please seek out burnt offerings so you can watch it ahead of that one because we will be going into spoilers yes um because uh 
yeah, it's a lot to talk about with Burnt Offering. So I do like that film. We look forward to seeing you then. But until then, thank you so much for listening. And we promise to be more professional next time. Thank you very much at 13 Finger Effects. Goodbye. Oh, yeah, at <laughs> Sam Ashurst 23 on Instagram. That's all I care about at the moment. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye.